Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good morning. My name is Gene and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if you're joining us for the first time today, or if it's been a while since you've worshiped with us, I wanna welcome you as we look into God's word together now. Our current sermon series is on faith and politics, a Christian's guide to politics. We're now nine days away from election day, and this presidential campaign has been every bit the circus that it was advertised to be, and more. I grew up viewing civic engagement with respect and appreciation. I looked up to our elected officials. I remember the thrill of meeting my town's mayor for the first time as a child. I've always been proud to call myself an American citizen. It was very special for me going behind the curtain to vote for the first time. It was a double thrill because I took my mom who had just been nationalized and helped her vote for the first time in her life. Political engagement was an honorable privilege that I was proud to participate in. But nine days away from this election, I feel none of the bright-eyed admiration that I once felt toward our government. And I think part of it is the endless bombardment of politics. Social media, the 24-hour news cycle, this means constant exposure and the inability to have any distance. Because in the 90s, I had to read a newspaper. I had to watch the news or turn on the radio. Politics was a part of my life. And it was just that, a part of my life that I could compartmentalize. Now, there's no escape from politics. And as I filled out my mail-in ballot this week and I dropped it off in the ballot box, I really missed those simple times when everyone wasn't shouting at me that the world is on the line if the wrong person wins. And I've had a lot of conversations with you, 
church members in the past few months about politics. And there are many different ways that people are approaching this election. Many of you are engaging politically with passion, with purpose, with urgency. Your social media posts are generally about activism, promoting awareness to certain social causes and issues. Others of you are more hesitant to engage politically. Maybe your political views don't necessarily align with those of many of your friends, and you don't want the headache of a drawn-out debate or argument. So you generally stay quiet, except with those who might think or feel the same way that you do. And for many of you, you're already checked out. You cannot wait for this to be over. You're dying to move on from this and not have everything be about politics. You're sick of hearing everyone's opinion on social media. And you really wish that the internet was just for NBA highlight videos on YouTube. I've been asked many questions in the past few months about how Christians should engage in politics. Questions like, do I have to vote if I'm a Christian? Do I have to vote a certain way? Do I have to vote for a Christian? Can I be a Christian and vote for this candidate? Can she really be a Christian and vote for that candidate? I want to talk today about the Christian's role in political engagement from Romans 13, which is one of the most political passages in the Bible because it talks directly to the Christian's relationship to governing authority. And the three things that I want to highlight about Christian engagement are submission, service, and salvation. So first, submission. Verses one and two. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Paul tells us here that Christians are to submit to the governing authorities. And submission might just be the most unpopular word in our culture today. Our country was founded on the colonists' refusal to submit to their governing authority. Submission is not a virtue in our culture. It's quite the opposite. It's oppression. It requires a subjection of someone's will to the will of another. An oppressor will force his victim to submit. So virtue in our world is in the liberation from submission. But here, Paul tells Christians that they are to submit to the governing authorities. And here's his thesis, here's his reasoning. All authority is from God. He is the highest authority, and he delegates all authority to those beneath him. There is no authority in the world that is not granted 
by God. Therefore, as a general principle, Christians are to recognize this and submit to governing authorities because their authority is derived from God. Submitting to God means also submitting to the authorities that he has placed over you. Our submission to governing authorities, it reflects our ultimate submission to the highest authority, God himself. Now, Paul is laying out a general principle here, not a law to be applied in every single situation. There's certainly exceptions to this that we see throughout the Bible. Just this week in our community groups, we're studying Acts chapter 4, where the Jewish authorities instruct Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus. And what do they do? They respectfully refuse to obey. Paul doesn't say, obey the governing authorities in every situation. There will be exceptions to this, and even times when it is appropriate to support justifiable war against government. And Pastor Aaron last week's sermon mentioned uh, Bonhoeffer's involvement in an assassination attempt against Adolf Hitler. But as cruel and unjust as you may think our elected officials may be, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, where Christians were subject to unthinkable horrors. The Roman emperor, when Paul writes this letter, is Nero, and he was particularly cruel. He set Christians on fire and lit the city with them. Both Peter and Paul are, were eventually executed under Nero's authority. Paul is writing to Christians who are under the threat of persecution. They have seen their relatives and friends arrested and even killed. And yet he tells them to be subject to the governing authority because even though God does not endorse the corruption and injustice of the emperor, his authority is under and part of God's sovereign plan. He never tells the Romans, submit if and when your government is perfect. He says, submit to the imperfect government you have now. Well, that's what Paul meant to the Roman Christians he was writing to in the first century. But what does this passage mean for us today? I've heard many Christians who are supportive of the current administration use this verse to say that all Christians must submit to President Trump and all of his policies. Just like the Roman Christians were to submit to Nero, we have to submit to our president. But you know what? I don't think we can make a direct application to our government today, and here's why. Paul was writing to Christians under an absolute monarch. The Roman emperor, he consolidated authority and power without the consent or involvement of the citizens of Rome. But our system of government is very different from the Roman Empire. We are part of a democratic republic where the power is not held by a monarch or by a hierarchy of rulers 
Who wields power in our country? The people. Our Constitution doesn't begin, thus saith the king. It says, we the people of the United States ordain and establish this Constitution. This means that our elected officials are merely representatives of the people. They are not above us, but they are us. We don't call them public rulers. We call them public servants. So in a very real way, when Paul tells us that we are to be subject to the governing authority, we have to realize that we, the citizens, are the governing authority. This means that we shouldn't just read this passage from the perspective of the subjects who have to submit, but more fully as also the ones granted authority by God to lead. So what does submission to the governing authority look like for us? Our submission is, is not a submission to a single, single ruler, but to the entire system of government in which we, the people, hold the power. We have to recognize that our democracy affords us as citizens more power and influence than any other system of government in history has afforded their citizens. And as every superhero trope emphasizes, with great power comes great responsibility. As Christians, we have a responsibility to lead this country well through the means that we have at our disposal. We have an obligation to hold our elected officials accountable to the interests of the majority while safeguarding the rights of the minority. What is the purpose of government according to Paul? Verses three and four. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. What we see here is that the core purpose, the core purpose of government is to restrain evil and protect its citizens. So what does that mean for us? The way that we, yield, we wield power in our system is to elect representatives who will best accomplish the role of government to restrain evil and protect all of its people. So I wanna encourage all of you to thoughtfully and prayerfully vote your conscience for who you believe will best restrain evil and promote good. And as Christians, we have a clearer and truer understanding of what evil and good are than those who don't know God, because God is the arbiter of morality, and he has revealed himself to us in his word. But you and I well know <clears throat> that this is often very challenging to do. 
I mean, it'd be easy if there was kind of a drop-down menu of options and we could kind of create our own candidate or platform. You know, voting, it's, it's not like ordering pizza toppings. Can I have some extra integrity here? Uh, I'll, I'll take some religious liberty. Oh, oh, no racism for me today, thanks. Our government, while great in many ways, is deeply flawed and inadequate in many other ways. I think the two-party system in particular makes it very complicated to navigate as a Christian because our faith will never fit cleanly into either party. I mean, it's logical. If God is above all human authority, how can he possibly be made to fit cleanly underneath authority? How can any flawed human party or institution perfectly convey God's goodness and justice? And I think part of why things are so divisive today is because Christians are forgetting this and constantly trying to co-opt their faith to fit their political agendas. And this is true whether you're conservative, liberal, or even moderate. I can't tell you how many Christians I've heard make statements like, if you're a Christian, you have to vote for Donald Trump. Or if you're a Christian, you cannot vote for Donald Trump. And I'm not even talking about Facebook and Twitter comments from influential pastors of megachurches to mainstream Christian publications. They've all said all Christians should vote this way. This is different from me voting according to my Christian convictions. This is making a statement that God is on my side politically, not on the other. This is called co-optation. And when this happens, you inevitably, inevitably begin to prioritize nation, party, election, movement, or other political cause over the kingdom of Christ. You, you begin to see the world in black and white. And then what happens is your volume, your tone, your intensity change. And soon enough, you become a divisive force in your community and even in the church. In verse 4, Paul says, For he is God's servant for your good. What this means is politics and polit political systems serve God, not vice versa. When you enlist God to your party exclusively, you're in danger of reversing that role. You are trying to get God to serve you and your cause, not the other way around. Let me give you an example of this. When my six-year-old Andy and my four-year-old Caleb get into an argument, sometimes it gets heated. There's screaming, there's crying, and, and maybe even some hitting. And as soon as I show up, they're both desperately interrupting each other to tell me their side. I had it first, 
and then he took it from me. No, I had it first. What are they doing here? They both want to enlist me so that I support and vindicate one of them and denounce the other. And I'd be a bad father if I allowed myself to be co-opted and used by either against the other. I'd be a bad father if I played favorites and one of them was always right. You know, I might decide in this situation, actually, you're right. But as their father, what's important to me is the bigger picture for both of them. If I do take a side, it will at most be temporary. What matters to me is not whose side I'm on, but that they're on my side in terms of what I'm trying to teach and instill in them. And the same is true of God. God is not left. God is not right. God is not center. He is above. And he has a much bigger picture of our good and the good of the world than we do. He has a much truer passion and commitment to justice and a far greater hatred of evil than we do. And we cannot forget that. You know, we see examples of this throughout the Bible. In 1 Samuel, for example, the Israelites, they're at war against their arch enemies, the Philistines. And they come up with a really dumb plan. They say, hey, when we go into battle, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant with us. That will guarantee victory. And what happens is they get crushed. Thousands die, and the Ark of the Covenant falls into the hands of the Philistines. And then the Philistines, they take the Ark as a trophy, and they put it in their temple before their god uh, Dagon. And the next morning they wake up, and the idol Dagon is broken, fallen face downward before the Ark. And then disease and terror spread throughout the people there. And they get scared. So they move the ark. And wherever the ark goes, people die. And after seven months of this, they decide to return the ark to Israel. And when the Israelites receive it back, at first they rejoice. But then 70 of the Israelite men look upon the ark and die. Co-opting God for their cause cost both sides dearly. I've been thinking a lot about one short passage in particular during this election season. In Joshua 5, Joshua is by the city of Jericho. It's the great city of the wicked Canaanites. And Joshua will soon conquer the city. But as he's outside the city, he lifts up his eyes and he beholds a man standing before him with his sword drawn. And Joshua asks him a question. He says, are you for us or for our adversaries? He's asking him, are you on our side or are you on their side? The answer, 
No. No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua's immediate response to this is to realize that it is God standing before him. He falls on his face and worships. And then he asks a very different question. What does my Lord say to his servant? Joshua's first question is, are you on our side or are you on their side? God's response is, no, I am God. Are you on my side? Do you have any idea how far above your side I am? I am so much greater than earthly kings and kingdoms. Joshua worships God and then he asks the better question. What does my Lord say to his servant? In Romans 13, God has empowered and employed earthly governments as his servants to accomplish his will. And as voting citizens of our government systems, let us not forget that we are God's servants called to fight injustice and promote the welfare of others. We can be passionate about what we believe is best for our country, but you know one thing we can never be is self-righteous. Because if God truly hates evil and injustice, then that is not good news for me personally, because I am a perpetrator of injustice. My hands are not clean. Verse 4 says this, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Friends, we must always be humble. We can never be self-righteous because God's wrath is for the wrongdoer, and that includes us. We have done wrong. We have supported unjust systems. We have perpetrated oppression. We have ignored the plights of those in need. We have been selfish and greedy and cruel. What hope is there for people like you and me? Well, before Paul gets to Romans 13, he spent all of Romans 1 through 11 unpacking our salvation from sin in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the perfect one, who set divine authority aside to become a servant. Jesus, who led by dying, Jesus, who refused to be co-opted politically by the Jews. Jesus, who refused the temptation of the devil for all the kingdoms of the world. This Jesus lived the perfect life that we failed to live. And he died the sinner's death on our behalf. Isn't it interesting that 
the most partisan crowd that we see in all of the Bible is the crowd gathered around Pontius Pilate crying out for Jesus to be crucified. You know, when Jesus is raised from the dead, he gathers his disciples to him and he gives them the great commission. He says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the authority above and behind our political system. He is the commander of the Lord's army with his drawn sword in hand. Will we try to co-opt him for our party and cause or like Joshua, will we fall on our faces in worship before him and say, what does my Lord say to his servant? So church, let the world see an otherworldly ethic when they see us. Verse 7 says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. In our political system, let's give to it what is owed. Our vote, our thoughtful engagement, our time, our money. But let us also respect our fellow citizens and honor even those on the other side politically, because that honors God. And finally, let's put government in its appropriate place. It matters. It's important, but it's not all important. I think Christians tend to misunderstand government in one of two ways. Some, some people think that government is bad and illegitimate. Others treat government like their only hope for salvation. Both of these views of government misunderstand the role of government. Our ultimate hope and allegiance is in our Lord and King, Jesus Christ, whose kingdom is not of this world. Let's submit to him as we faithfully engage in politics. Will you pray with me now? Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you that you are a sovereign king, that you rule the universe. And I pray that you would help us to be wise and thoughtful as we submit to the authorities that you have put in place. We know that all human authority is flawed and broken and quite often corrupt, but I pray that we will faithfully serve these authorities as we serve you. Teach us how to do that, especially leading up to this election. I pray that our ultimate hope and allegiance would be in Jesus and that we would in no way try to co-opt faith to serve our political agendas. Help us to be wise. Help us to be humble. 
We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, let's give to the Lord in light of everything that he has given to us. And let's do it with a cheerful, grateful heart.